I'm going to ask Al to come and read us. Our reading this morning uh, is from Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 13, carrying on through uh, the lectionary. So Al's going to come and read that for us now. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the, the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your word and the ways in which you speak through it. We thank you for the encouragements, the challenges, uh, the things that are familiar, the things that are new. And we pray that you would um, speak to us afresh this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So just to give briefly the, the context of this, uh, this parable, because it is it's seemingly quite unusual that this random stranger from the crowd that's following Jesus suddenly pipes up and says to Jesus, can you sort this dispute out for me? I'm having this difficulty about my inheritance with my brother. Uh, there's this issue that's going on, and, and Jesus, I want you to sort it out. And it seems like a really random request that, that Jesus, who is clearly known as a teacher, is becoming known as the Son of God, doing miracles and all kinds of amazing things. And here's this guy asking him for something that seems uh, quite legal uh, and quite uh, pernickety in some ways and uh, just a really unusual request, seemingly anyway. But actually, when you read through uh, Old Testament law, particularly the, the book of Deuteronomy, what you find is that actually it's quite normal that if you are in a, a dispute of some kind that's maybe gone to court uh, and it's proving to be more complicated than it would normally be, be, hang on, I need to switch to this mic, um, it's proving to be more complicated than it would normally be, uh, it was usual that you could approach a man of God, uh, somebody who represented God, and ask them for some support and some help in the procedure, or to act as judge, and often that would be a priest or a rabbi. So it's not actually that unusual that this man is asking Jesus this particular request. It was quite normal in the culture of the time. But what Jesus responds with is quite unusual because he says, who made me judge of you? Uh, because Jesus is not like all the other rabbis. Uh, Jesus is only doing, as he says frequently, what the Father tells him to do. So he's operating under a different system. Uh, he's operating under the kingdom of God. And he's saying, I'm not, I'm not judge of this situation. But what he does, as Jesus often does, because he's so good at doing it, is he takes that request and turns it into a teachable moment. An opportunity to teach something not only to this man, but to all the rest of the crowd who are gathered around who would have heard that request. And that teachable moment is not necessarily about wealth, as often people think that it is about, but actually I think this teachable moment is about the risk and the dangers of covetousness, of coveting. 
of coveting more than we have and more than we need. This man uh, in the parable uh, is clearly somebody who has that kind of greedy nature, the selfish nature of wanting to store things up for himself. And I believe also he has a coveting nature as well. It depends on the translation you read, uh, because in this particular translation in the NIV, uh, Jesus is warning him against uh, Uh, Greed, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Uh, But in other translations, it does say covetousness. Beware of covetousness. Beware of coveting things that are not yours. And I don't know about you, but when I first read this, I I was struggling to relate initially to the rich fool in this story because I have never been in the financial position to be able to store up treasures for myself. I have never been in the position to be able to save for the future or anything like that. That's just not, doesn't factor in a vicar's wage to do that kind of thing. Uh, And so I couldn't relate, but in another way, I realized I could. Because there are so many other things that I do store up and I do hold tightly to. Sometimes my time, sometimes my relationships, or the possessions that I own, the things that I have. I am guilty of of, of storing things up at times. But actually, as I said, this isn't so much about the storing up. It is about that. We'll come to that in a minute. But it's also about the danger of wanting and feeling like we need more than we have. Because the man who's asking Jesus this question is clearly having a bit of an issue with what he has. Something in him feels like he hasn't got enough, that he deserves more of the inheritance, that he deserves maybe the 50% or whatever it is, but whatever it is he's received, he feels he deserves more and that he doesn't have enough. And so he's asking Jesus to intervene into that situation. And then in comes this parable about a rich young fool. And the reason I think this is about coveting is that not that the, the rich man is coveting more wealth. He's rich enough as it is. He's not coveting more crops. He's got plenty of those. He's doing well enough, storing up barns and all those kind of things. I think he's coveting laziness. <laughs> I think he's coveting rest. I think he's coveting the ability to be able to give up what he's doing and say, I can just eat, drink, be merry, enjoy my life. He's coveting a different lifestyle. He's coveting not having to work anymore. He's coveting essentially early retirement. And he's got this desire for more than he has, even though he has plenty And there's this sense in which he's thinking, now I've accumulated all this wealth, that grass that's always looked greener on the other side, it can finally be mine if I do this. But as a number of preachers have famously said, so many, it's hard to attribute the original author. If the grass looks greener on the other side, you're probably looking at AstroTurf. It's not as genuine as it appears. Often we can think that what we don't have will bring us satisfaction when rarely it does. With one exception, Jesus. The only thing we should cover in this life is more of Jesus. As we have been saying so much over the past few weeks, you can have everything this world has to offer, but without Jesus you have nothing. Or you can have nothing in this world, but with Jesus you have everything. And Jesus is warning the people around him about coveting more in life, having riches in life that will never, ever satisfy 
in the way that Jesus does, in a way that relationship with him does. And I'm sure that you look at the rich young fool, and I'm sure that everybody here will be able to say, I don't want to be like him. I hope everybody here can say, I don't want to be like him. I don't want to be like this rich young fool who's so selfish and so greedy that he's missing out on life itself. He thinks he's found life by accumulating wealth and storing up retirement and all these things, but he hasn't found true life. And he's branded a fool. None of us here would want to be called a fool, would you? I hope. Hands up if you want to be called a fool. Yeah, no one does. But even less so when you realise what it means in this context, because the way we use fool today has radically changed from what it meant in Jesus' time. In, in our time, a fool is normally somebody who's considered stupid or foolish or a bit of an idiot, um, or a court jester who makes a fool of themselves. Uh, it's it's tend it's ten to thought around about intelligence, essentially, a lot of the time today. But that's not what it meant in Jesus' time. When it was used in Jesus' time, particularly when it was used by Jesus, foolishness was the word that we used today for immorality. If you were branded a fool, you were considered someone to be immoral, someone who went against the things of God so much that you were immoral. Do you want to be that? No. But that's what this man was doing with his wealth, with what he'd accumulated. He was being immoral because he was storing it all up for himself. And if we want to avoid covetness in our lives, I think we can learn a heck of a lot through what this man didn't do that can teach us what we need to do. The first thing is to recognize the grace of God in our everyday lives. Because we've made a mistake uh, in a lot of branches of the church of limiting grace to the cross. Now that the the cross of Jesus Christ, as we explained in baptism, is central to our faith. It is important to our faith. And it is absolutely about grace. The grace of God is on display on the cross, amazing display. But the grace of God is not limited to the cross. The grace of God is in our everyday lives. And what this man had failed to realize is that everything he had earned, everything he had grown, was only but for the grace of God. It would have taken one flood, one famine, one dry season for none of that to be possible. He failed to recognize that all the things he'd been able to store up was only possible because of the grace of God in his life. Because of the grace of God over the land that produced the good crop in the first place. He took all the credit for himself for growing this great crop. Forgetting the great gardener who made it all possible. Had he recognized the grace of God in his life, I think things would have been very different. He would have realized as we pray most weeks, all things come from you and of your own do we give you. Your very breath is an act of the grace of God every time you breathe it. God is a God of grace and everything we have is a gift of that grace not to be taken for granted. And then the other thing we need that this man didn't have is gratitude. He showed no sign of thankfulness for what he had received. No sign of gratitude for what had been achieved through his growing. 
He wanted to store it up and keep it for himself and enjoy life. But at no point do you see him say, God, thank you for this harvest. Thank you for the ways you provided in my life. Thank you for who you are. Because when we don't have gratitude, we, we tend to move more in towards entitlement. Thinking, I, I'm entitled to these things that I have. And those things that I don't have, I, I believe I'm entitled to them too. But when we cultivate an attitude of gratitude, we realize, again, that thing of God's grace, seeing God's grace in everything. But the more grateful we become for what we have, the less we crave the things we don't have. Because we realize that actually, we are rich. In this, we are rich in this country. And the more we can show gratitude in our lives from the smallest things to the biggest things, the less room there is for coveting. Because normally we covet things we don't have because we feel like what we have isn't enough. But if we were more thankful for what we had, there would be less room for covetousness in our life. Thirdly and finally, at no point did this man think of anyone other than himself. If we want to avoid covetousness, we need to think of others more highly than we think of ourselves. Uh, humility is, is obviously an attribute of Jesus and of Christians around the world and something we aspire to. But humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but it is thinking of ourselves less. Thinking of others more than we think about ourselves. Self-care is important. It is right that we think about self-care. All those things, they do matter. The things that science is showing us do matter. It is important that we care for ourselves. But as you see throughout Scripture, whenever anybody is blessed in Scripture, it is in order that they may be a blessing to others. We see it in Abraham most, but in many others besides. When people receive a blessing from God, it is in order that they may be a blessing to others. And we need to think of others with what we have, particularly if we have more than we need. And the way of Jesus, I believe, is about doing this in obscurity. So doing this behind the scenes, not blessing others because we want to look kind or appear kind, not blessing others because we hope if we bless others, then maybe God will bless us more, or maybe doing it because we feel we should or we ought to, but actually blessing others for the sake of blessing others because that's the way of Jesus. Because that's the way that Jesus operates in this world, by being the God of blessing. Everything we have is because he gave himself for us. He is the God who blesses others, who thinks of others. So if we want to avoid covetousness in our lives, if we want to avoid that that kind of desire, I'm not saying it's easy, and I'm not saying we're never going to covet things, and I'm not saying we're never going to want things that we don't have, but if we want less of that in our lives, then we need to make more space for recognizing the grace of God in the everyday, more space for being grateful for the things we do have, and more space for thinking of others more than we think of ourselves. Because the more we do those things, the less room there is for covetousness. It's not about stopping our coveting, but it's about replacing it with these three things. The grace, the gratitude, and the thinking of others. And we will find that there's less space to covet. Or we realize that actually the grass on the side we're on is doing just fine. If it's cultivated well.
by the Spirit of God, by our relationship with Jesus. But also, right at the end of this, Jesus makes it very clear that everything this world has to offer will fade away. None of it is permanent. Only he is. You can have everything this world has to offer, but without Jesus you have nothing. Or you can have nothing, but with Jesus you have everything. That's what we want Albert to know as he grows up. The truth of that, that Jesus is our all in all. And if you find yourself with a craving, with a longing in your life, and you've tried to fill it with so many things over the years, and none of them are satisfied, then give Jesus a chance. Give Jesus a chance to prove to you he is who satisfies that longing. Because we were made for that relationship. We were made to be in that relationship with God, made possible through Jesus. Nothing in this world will ever compare to Jesus. Nothing. Nothing. So if you're going to cover one thing in this life, make it him. And him alone.